Hello and welcome to episode 141 of the Effect podcast. We won, we won, we, we bloody, bloody won. won. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Matthew and the bloke interrupting me is... Is Dave. Hello everybody. Um, well, you can tell what we're going to be doing on this episode for most of it, which is kind of revelling in the joy that has been the announcements of the NEs and the Alien uh, RPG Best Game Gold Award. Anyway, but what else have we got in store for, for everyone today? Um, we've got a new patron and we have an existing patron who has upgraded his patron. So we're, we're going to thank our, our wonderful patrons first. World of Gaming. Well, that's going to be Ennies. Um, there might be something else at the end of that that we can think of, but there's lots to talk about about the Ennies. We have a player in the Hammam today, which uh, is uh, Millie Lavelle, who is also known as Millie the GM. She does loads of stuff with um, UK Games Expo, and she's produced stuff for the Free League Workshop. And we've got a great interview with her. She's an excellent interviewee. Uh, it meant that we didn't have to say very much because she was just saying loads of really interesting stuff about her life in gaming and free league games. So we've got that a little bit later on. We promised last time to talk a little bit about Tales of the Old West, the uh, f the Year Zero engine um, modification that Matthew and I are working on uh, for a Wild West game. We Our patrons have got that in uh, version 3 at the moment, and I've been doing uh, a playtest with... My old playtest group who had uh, who were involved in the first round of playtesting last year. So it's great to get their sort of perspectives on, on where that's going. But we said we'll talk a little bit about that. So we'll do that later on. And then finally, after uh, my um, essay last week on the Union of Progressive Peoples in Alien, Matthew, I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got to say about the Three World Empire. Brilliant, because I'm looking forward to writing it, so it'll be really <laughs> interesting to see how this goes. Um, so you better get writing then. Um, <laughs> it looks like I'm doing all the talking this episode. So, uh, and I think that's about it for today. So first things first, before we get to the uh, uh, the exciting news from the Ennies, which was announced just last night as we were recording this. Yeah. And for various reasons, we couldn't record yesterday. And if we had recorded yesterday, it would all have been about, we don't know what's about to happen in the Ennies. <laughs> but um, fortunately, we woke up this morning to some great news and we'll talk about that. But before we get on to that, let's just say thank you to all our patrons, all yeah. our patrons for their continued support yes. of this podcast. But also for two, well, one new patron who is Henrik Bengston. I hope I said that right. Um, and no, I didn't say that right because I got ton. Uh, Hen Henrik Bengtsson, I think. <laughs> Bengtsson. With apologies, as always, for our terrible <laughs> pronunciation of, of other people's names. Um, yes. But yes, thank you, Henrik. I'm delighted to have you on board. Thank you so much for your support. And uh, uh, another of our patrons who always manages to correct us on our pronunciation, so always <laughs> very helpful, Nicholas. He's also put his support up. He's become a, a privileged patron, so I think a special thank you yes. to Nicholas as well. Well, and thank and you for one. thank you for persisting in trying to correct our pronunciation, even though we still get it horribly wrong, having been schooled by Nicholas um, time and again. We're not yes, very good yes. students, I'm afraid, but we try. Uh, we try. When, when I was watching the Ennies video, I uh, I felt a need to correct Ken Height on his pronunciation of Merkboy. But um, <laughs> yeah. sadly, he couldn't hear me because 
he'd recorded it four hours before I was watching. But there yeah. we go. But but, um, but, but also, um, subsequently, all of our Swedish listeners are now correcting your pronunciation of Merkboy <laughs> as well. So uh, there's there's a level of irony involved Mine's in all of this. Bloody perfect, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I I say it I'm to my sure. wife. And I think I've got it perfect. And she just pulls this face. And it's like, I've obviously got it totally wrong. Uh, yeah. We'll get there in the end. We'll get there in the end. Dave. Yes. Um, so uh, World of Gaming News uh, is... Well, we'll just skip over that. There's nothing important, is there? <laughs> no. Um, no. Of course, last night there was a big award ceremony. So I would like to especially... Send our congratulations to Will Sharp, who won Best Supporting Actor for a great TV drama called... Um... Oh, no, we're not talking about the BAFTAs. <laughs> we're we? not talking about the BAFTAs. But Will Sharp did do a really good performance in Giri Haji, so I recommend that mm. one. But, uh, no, at the same time as the BAFTAs was going on, so were the Ennies. And how did we do? We did all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, let's quickly just... Um, there's one potential misunderstanding that people might have as we're doing this intro. We didn't enter the podcast for the podcast award. And so we didn't win the podcast award. All the glory we're talking about is mostly reflected glory from our friends at Free League. <laughs> mostly reflected glory. <laughs> it's not all reflected. Uh, why is it not all reflected, Dave? Well, um, if you haven't heard already... Uh... Alien RPG won the gold award for uh, the best game um, of, the, of the year, and we had a hand in some of that. Um, and that was it was uh, a privilege to be involved in it. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of slightly lost for words. So, dream come true for me, all of this. It was a dream. So, come this is our acceptance speech that you're you're just screwing up. Here, isn't it? <laughs> I thought Drew's um, acceptance speech was excellent, uh, even yes. though even though he mispronounced my surname. It's Seamark, <laughs> not Semark, but that's an understandable mistake if you haven't heard it. That's fine. At least you got on there. I didn't I, get a mention at all from Drew. So, well, that's uh, that's 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 kind of in proportion to our level of contribution. Yeah, contribution. Right, okay. <laughs> right. So yours, I was going to say that Drew's off very my valuable, Christmas though. card list, but now so are you, Dave. <laughs> yes, I've been working on that for years. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, particularly I like the end of, of Drew's, uh, Drew's acceptance speech where he, yes. he, he, he showed what was under the table, literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank God, not everything was under the table. Uh. <laughs> no, indeed. Um, but yeah, so it's an absolute joy to have been involved in it in the first place. The, the icing on the cake and the, the cherry on top of the icing and the candle on top of the cherry. All of that is just this fabulous recognition from uh, from the fans and the community that what Free League has done and what we've been lucky enough to be able to contribute to in our in our own small way has been a great success. People love it and they wanted to thank us for it, I guess, which is brilliant. And thank you to everyone who voted for it and uh, everyone who's given it support. Yeah, and, and, and other uh, friends of the show also won awards. Coming second, getting the silver award for best game, Mark Boyer. Merk also, Merk Boyer. Damn, <laughs> I definitely screwed that one up. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, what was the competition to, or was part of the competition to Alien and quite rightly came in second place. <laughs> rightly, because it deserves 
uh, an award, but also rightly because it doesn't deserve to beat the game that we had our words in, does it? No, well, not in our honest. not in our view anyway. Um, other, others <laughs> no. may well have a different view of that one. We are biased in that conversation. And also, the other thing that Merck Boyer won, or it won a bunch of awards, it did. a whole it won, handful it was of awards, great success, yeah. Uh, uh, but it also won Product of the Year, which is even more deserved. And and frankly, mm. I uh, I don't think uh, Alien as a product is as good as Merck Boyer because Merck Boyer is the most amazing book to hold in your hands. Uh-huh. It's it's a it's not just a game; it's a work of art. But because the Ennies don't give away a prize for best work of art, that's a book. And a game. Well, it, um, it's interesting. Have, 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 to do. have you been following some of the stuff um, that the UK Games Expo is putting out about the nominations? Um, I have indeed. Yes. Yeah, and on that, they interestingly mentioned that as it, it felt as if you know they were saying, "Is Merc Boyer just a wonderful piece of art, or is it a great game as well?" Um, so, well, obviously, the uh, the voters and the, the Ennies judges feel it's both. Um, yes. let's, it'd be interesting to see what the UK Games Expo results come out as. But So it's a better work of art and a, and, and a thing and a product that I will treasure until I have to burn it ritually when I finish the campaign. Um, <laughs> Is that what which, you're supposed with, to do? Are you supposed that's to do in that? the rules, mate. It's in the rules. And you know me, I do rules as written. I don't bloody <laughs> house rule shit like that. Why don't you give it to me to use first, then, and then give it to somebody else, <laughs> and then it could be ritually burned, along, you know. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. That 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 sounds like a household to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is a work of art. Uh, it's a great product. It possibly. I mean, it's an OSR game. It's really simple. Uh, we ran a few, a um, uh, couple of adventures on it on our YouTube channel with my Wednesday friendly local gaming group. They loved it. Mm. It's anarchic, uh, but is it um, is it a is it is it a gold winning game? I think it's probably a silver winning game. Uh. Well, especially uh, when Alien is ahead of it, or is in the. But is, we'll is, wait is and see what the uh, what the UK Games Expo judges yeah, think of it. Absolutely. Um, um, uh, elsewhere, friends of the show that have done well, um, Trilemma. Adventures, Michael Prescott and Craig Atkins. No, oh, no, Craig Craig wasn't much to do with Trilemma, but no. they are our friends of the show. But um, Michael Prescott did did most of the work on the actual Trilemma adventures. He won didn't they win two things? Yesterday? So they got a silver for best adventure and a gold for best cartography, which is thoroughly deserved. Yeah. Uh, and having talked about um podcasts, I guess we ought to mention Friends of the show again, and patrons of our podcast, Red Moon Roleplaying, uh, they got a silver for the second time uh, in the Ennies for their um, uh, actual play podcast, which, you know, I I wouldn't submit our own actual play podcasts for the Ennies if I was submitting any podcasts at all about this <laughs> no. magazine show. Uh, but so that's thoroughly deserved, Red Moon Roleplaying, and the winners there were Asians Represent, so they were pipped at the post. Asians represent what other what other awards should we particularly uh, pluck out best um, best typography and layout can you guess who that went to because you're such a typography nerd I know <laughs> uh, I did know um, my brain's gone blank um, 
Go on, just tell me. Can I give you a clue? If this isn't this isn't it's Swedish. Does, does quiz. Well, presumably. It's, go on. It's just. it's published by Free League. It won Product of the Year. Oh, Merc Boyer then. Merc Boyer. <laughs> Uh, and so they really pushed at the rules of typography there and got their thoroughly um, thoroughly deserved gold for best layout and design. Second, and people who came second to Michael for best cartography was Jim Henson's Labyrinth role-playing game. Oh. And I love that because uh, that's made by a company called River Horse who are based in the UK. They're most famous for their My Little Pony role-playing game. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, they're they're great people. I I know them. They're friends of friends, and they're thoroughly deserved win uh, or second place there. Um, but I think also, I mean, I just like to say we've we've picked out a few bits and bobs there. Um, a great congratulations to everybody who was even nominated for any of these awards, and a special congratulations to those who won an award for for their work. This community is is a great community, and you know, having you know, we all know how much hard work how much love how much of your soul and yourself you put into things that you create in this game or these games and so you know an enormous congratulations to everybody who who got a mention or everybody who who, who won an award yes yeah uh the other ones i want to point out um the cover art for uh chaosium's call of cthulhu adventure uh berlin mm. that got best cover art and that nice. is thoroughly deserved that is mm -hmm. a beautiful piece i'm sorry martin uh, that you missed out on Martin Grip. I'm talking of uh, you missed out on some best cover art awards there, but um, but it was the, it's a beautiful book, beautiful mm. book, um, <laughs> that book. Nice. Uh, so I think we're done on awards. Have we got anything else to mention? Um, it probably is. It usually is. So I'm just trying to think. Well, I tell you what. Let's do a bit of self promotion here. Um, <laughs> our privileged. Uh, patrons are going to be getting something in the post later in the month um, yeah, but yeah. any any of our other fans can uh, can purchase one of these from Redbubble and we'll put a link in the show notes but in these COVID-19 times uh, as we're particularly as we're coming back together and social things are happening we had a, a socially distanced actual face-to-face -face game uh, a week or two ago didn't we Dave? We did and it was great fun even, and though, even though it, it rained for most of the time. It rained all the way through, yes. Um, <laughs> we we did record it. It may be a really bad recording. Yeah, so I haven't I, dared listen to it yet. It, it's going to um, be terrible. That, I mean, the, the environment we had in your back garden with that um, that big cover you've got, I don't remember what it was called. It was some special event thing, five An meter, event shelter, yeah. I think they call it. It was perfect because we didn't get wet. Hardly. I mean, a bit dripped through at the end, but it had been raining really hard all afternoon oh, at that yes. point. Um, I think the recording is going to be a, a, a washout because we won't be... It's able. a great big drum skin, isn't yeah. it? Against which the rain beat hard. But sad, we'll see if we can sad, salvage any of it. Yeah, sadly. Maybe, sad, maybe, though. Maybe your wizardry with the machinery can um, salvage some of it because it was a really good game and there was some really... In particular for my character, there was there was a really kind of poignant moment towards the end that is actually... Yeah, be, which... Is going to be defining Ten Grail, the elf warrior. I think going forward. I think decisions you make in the next session are going to be pretty, as you say, character defining. Yeah, so, and uh, I, I think in my mind, I know which way Ten Grail is going to go. 
Oh, don't spoil so. it for me. Cause <laughs> again, one of the splendid things about this game is as a GM, I was kind of surprised by some of the actions you took. So, you know, I didn't know how this story was going to end. Mm. I had a pretty good idea how it was going to end and it didn't end like that. Um, <laughs> so uh, we will wait and see for part two. I've got yeah. to salvage some of this recording because uh, if we ever do part two, people are going to know, going to want to know how we're going to get there. But yeah, anyway, even if you else. can salvage some and we can do a talk through with a few snippets. Yeah, maybe yeah. like we did for um, for uh, one of the Coriolis for ones, the grind bones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but what I was going to say though is, yeah. we thought that uh, as people were beginning to get together again, uh, we could offer a little bit of help, and so we have created a face mask, uh, not an N95 face mask. Uh, just it's a, it's a, a face mask. It's a face covering, isn't it? Really? Yes. Yeah. You know, hook it over your ears, stick it over your mouth and um, mouth and nose, and go and meet your chums with our Effect branded uh, face mask. It says, "I'm smiling because I'm listening to the Effect podcast," or something like that. And I'll, I'll put a link up to it on uh, on podcast. We've had a few sales already, and we bought some for our privileged uh, patrons too. Uh, so that's the only other bit of gaming news, and that's a bit of self-promotion, actually. Uh, uh -huh. I think for this session, for this episode, we're kind of out of gaming news. Probably, because uh, we've got an awful lot of content to get through for the rest of the episode. So unless exactly, there's anything yeah. burning that we suddenly feel we ought to mention, um, we ought to move on, I think, don't you? And let's move on to yet another one of our patrons, uh, who is Millie the GM. She, you can see her in action with us on our Monday night streams. Not this coming Monday, actually. I think we've, uh, we're not all here this Monday evening. Um, but she's currently one of the guest stars on our Coriolis stream on Monday nights. But um, she is a multi-talented person, mm -hmm. is she not? She is. And we thought we ought to grab an interview with her, which we did. So it's time for another episode of Players in the Hammam. And this is not just a player, but also one of our patrons and a podcaster in her own right and all sorts of other things, which we're going to unpack a little bit in this interview. It's welcome to the Hammam, Millie, Millie the GM. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit nerve wracking, actually, being on this side of the, the, the sort of conversation yeah I'm like oh my gosh you gotta remember all the things yeah we, we need a really big bright light to shine in your eyes right now <laughs> you yeah, will yeah, answer yeah. all our questions yep um better get them right oh gosh um, no thanks it's really cool no we don't need a bright light dave we need some mint tea we need some potted plants <laughs> we need a nice relaxed atmosphere that's that's what the man is so doing you can see the difference in our interview styles and why matthew leads these interviews rather than me so millie uh we always ask the same question of all our guests when they appear for the first time at least on the podcast and it's only a little question but please tell us about your life in role-playing games okay uh, so, so it all started a long, long time ago with, um, AD&D. Hey. Yeah. Um, I remember my first <laughs> character, my first character was a fighter. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. And when we rolled down the stats, um, I rolled an 18 for strength oh, and wow. that, 
that was apparently brilliant. I had no idea. They made me roll some <laughs> more, more, more dice. I rolled uh, zeros, which apparently was brilliant as well. So I had 1800 strength fighter way back where, and, and it all sort of went from there. So there was, there was lots of Dungeons and Dragons, lots of that. Um, and then there was like a massive gap, like a huge gap for ages, as I think I've found with a lot of people, as you kind of go from being, um, I've got all this free time because I only have a Sunday job and um, I have to tidy my room or do a paper round mm -hmm. or whatever. And then all of a sudden I've got a full-time job and I need to have a, a, you know, a love life and all that kind of stuff and everything just gets dropped. And then you pick it back up a little bit later. Um, so I did that, but um, I became the GM forever. Um, <laughs> with, um, hence, with, hence the, the name Millie yeah the but I've I tend to find um, it's a rare exception now that I, I get to play but that's okay because I love all the secrets <laughs> and I love all the hidden hidden information like and knowing that if the players went left there they could have all died or, or that uh -huh. um, you know the the mad wizard on the side of the mountain is actually a legendary character from the histories and and that kind of stuff. And if they'd have just asked that one question, <laughs> they'd have known everything. You know that thing from um, from the labyrinth. Oh, you don't want to go that way. Oh, she'd have gone that way. Would have gone to the castle. Kind of moments. I, <laughs> I love them. I love them. And I love I love um, especially in. Um, kind of diverting into other things especially in, in free league games where you get that moment afterwards where you, you sort of talk about the the things that that you thought like your agendas for this with a, with aliens and that kind of stuff where yeah. you go oh but I was thinking about this I love that kind of stuff um, which doesn't necessarily happen in a lot of other games um, but yeah lots and lots of um, dungeon mastering especially uh, the organized play stuff so if you've heard of like um, Dungeons and Dragons Adventure League or um, Starfinder and Pathfinder Society um, things like that like the the group play where mm -hmm. everybody and you can have a random mixed bag of players turning up which kind of keeps you on your toes i mean you, you always yeah. always know your your players when they turn up you like your, your your best mate might always play the wolf barbarian and he's going to play the wolf barbarian in this but and then in the space game you're going to play he's a, a from a tribe of people on a ship who worship the wolf you know that kind of yeah. stuff you always have that but with with organized play i found you can one week have like a dad who's brought his two kids along because they don't get to play dungeons and dragons and he's forgotten about it and they're really excited about it and then next week it's like a 16 year old kid a, a 45 year old guy and a 20 something girl who wants to try it but doesn't know anybody who wants to do it and it's just brilliant just seeing mm -hmm. all these different faces so uh, do you do that at your friendly local gaming store then really i did i haven't done it for a while um uh unfortunately well obviously well, current no, situation no, kind of started it but um the place the place i did it unfortunately closed down as some it's really hard to be a gaming mm. store um mm -hmm. and my nearest place that that runs it now is um about an hour's train right away so not not too bad but um a bit of a trek bit of a trek and so i only do it about once twice a month at most um, oh that's still that's a that's quite a lot of gming for some of us yeah yeah mm. it is <laughs> I liked your your comment about the um, you know knowing all the secrets. Uh, mm. Just this is a bit of a digression, but just just what came to mind was um, Jim Bowen and Bullseye saying, "Look at what you could have won." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. The, there is that, and like I I sort of um, when was that when was that I, I played 
Um, I played, uh, I don't know if anybody's has tried them, like uh, especially conventions, UK Games Expo and um, Aircon and, and all the, the big places, like especially Gen Con, if anybody's done it. They have these massive multi-table events and um, um, Pathfinder calls it the special um, mm -hmm. and Dungeons and Dragons call it epics. And mm -hmm. you end up sitting and you can have like um, in the whole room, like this table's full of new players, all level ones. And that table down there has got like level 15 characters on. And this one over here has got some guys in the middle, but you're all kind of playing to win successes for the same sort of um, victory at the end. Like this massive, mm -hmm. like the one I played last was, um, we were trying to rescue a city from a, a dragon um, and because we were just the little baby adventurers, we were doing stuff like um, putting fires out and running around saving people. Um, but if we didn't do that, then the heroes wouldn't be able to kind of sweep through the town and, and battle the dragon on the top table kind of thing. <laughs> um, but what I found at the end of that was like, what, what was happening over there? Like, I've only got a tiny snapshot of it. Um, and so the next year I came back and I GM'd with it. And it was mm -hmm. just like, oh my gosh, there's so much. Like, if, if we as baby players had gone and not managed to do that, that would have burnt down half the city, which means the catapults wouldn't have, and you know, that kind of uh -huh. stuff. Just, it was just like, oh, I love it. I want more of that. And, and uh, yeah, like hoarding all these secrets and, and teasing them out. So those big multi-table epic things, the GM's also having a load of fun, I guess, passing, passing news from the table they're running to the other ones to give them all that exciting news. Yeah, so, so they run slightly differently. They, you, each table has its own GM, um, and then there's like an admin team. Right. Um, and so there's one person who's in charge of the, the adventure, um, like the, the main end, and we were really lucky. Um, it was a, a gent called Will Doyle, who actually wrote the adventure. He's done a lot of writing for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and Will was there kind of in charge of that. And then you have like two or three sort of admins assistants. And what they also do is as well as collecting all the information about what's going on at table four and, you know, table five could do with a bit of help. Has anybody got any spare healing potions kind of thing? Um, they're also wandering monsters. So they, these guys, you're not sure whether they're going to turn up at your table and be like, hey, guys, Table 7 has sent you some um, healing potions from the great Gonzo the Magician, or, hi, I'm a vampire, you're dead, um, <laughs> <laughs> which can happen. Um, and it's slowly evolved into also a little bit of cosplaying. So the very last one I did at last uh -huh. year's um, was for... Um, I don't know whether folks would know Dungeons and Dragons Descent into Avernus was the, the last thing they did, which is all about hell and hags and that kind of stuff. So I, w I was on the admin team and I was wandering around dressed up as a night hag called Mad Maggie, um, <laughs> just, just turning up and like torturing people and attacking stuff and, and making crazy voices and that kind of stuff. So it, it, it sort of evolves into this whole spectacle kind of thing, but... Yeah, way back, way back a few years ago, it was like five or six tables, and we were all just trying to trying to save a town casually from a dragon. And now, uh, as you do. Yeah, just as you do. But yeah, they they're ran by a group of group of folks who who to keep it, I guess, a little bit more than a, a mind numbing admin churn. You also get to do things like uh, be monsters and um, rally adventurers, and and you know, sort of like oh, we need a healer and kind of stuff. So it, it's all. Yeah, but the, the behind the scenes of that was phenomenal. Excellent. And so I think if people, people are excited by this or listen to this, what comms can they go to to, to get that sort of experience? Where do um, they have to sign up? Um, assuming there are comms. Everywhere. Yeah, I, I don't know. 
I don't know how it would work on a on a sort of virtual level at the minute. Um, mm. and I don't really know um, if any any folks are doing it. I know um, they're ran at places like Gen Con, um, UK Games Expo, Aircon. Um, there was one in Italy, the, the Italy convention, Comic Con convention that I mm. always forget the name of. Um, mm. They ran one. Um, and yeah, uh, if you ever kind of search your Adventure League stuff for Dungeons and Dragons or your Pathfinder Society stuff, um, they all have when they, they're going to be doing these big events. Mm. Uh, like if you're, you're into that kind of thing, or you, you just engage with the organized play systems for the system you love. And they're, they're probably doing something. I don't think, I don't think um, Star Trek Adventures have got anything like that yet. Because I know they do a little yet. bit of living campaign. Mm. I don't think they've got any multiplayer. What would it be? Wolf, Wolf, Wolf 357 or whatever the Battle yeah. of the Borg was. That would be a, an interesting <laughs> thing to run and that kind of stuff. But, oh, you're right, actually. I can just see that happening. Yeah? So you bring, <laughs> you bring your crew and your ship and you, you rock up to save someone from the crystalline entity or so some tables have to <laughs> evacuate folk and obviously there's going to be some sort of transporter buffer error so you've got engineer team you know you can yeah, you, you can, can extrapolate the ideas out of how you'd run it in different things and different stuff and see see what we're going on and and that kind of thing but i don't think that i don't think modifius have got anything like that lined up yet but yet uh, yet you know, maybe time. maybe yeah. we should get on a on a quick email after this <laughs> hang on i'm gonna make a note no 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 we shouldn't although we we love modifius obviously as a company but of course we're all about free league um, yeah and so well, what was your first free league game that you encountered so so sort of building on that like um organized play open play we were doing a lot of um introductory games like, so like an introduction to these different stuff um and i don't mean to be harsh about some of the other systems but for the most part <laughs> but you're going to be but i'm going to be but for the most part like um if you consider like dungeons and dragons one third of the rules is just monsters you can kill yeah you've got your dungeon master's book you've got your player's mm. book and then you've got your monster's manual so a third of your rules are stuff you can kill um pathfinder this was back before the the new edition you know the, they bring out a new set of monster books every 20 minutes by the <laughs> look of it and and same for for those other sort of either rock up solve a little bit of a puzzle and and kill some stuff so what do you do when you want to try dungeons and dragons but you're not or, or role-playing games but you don't want to you don't want to necessarily do that kind of thing and and that was around about when tales of the loop was launched and um um Stranger Things was on and that kind of stuff. And it really captured that kind of thing. So the, um, we kind of got together and was like, what about if we run some introductory adventures that aren't necessarily high fantasy or sci-fi? What if we just run some sort of um, Age of bikes. Wonder? Yeah, Kids on Bikes and that kind of stuff. Um, and that's, that's where we got into, into Tales from the Loop. Um, and that was really, that was really lovely because we had um, five or six introductory sessions um, and it was a lot of people who had never, ever done any form of RPGs. So their first introduction for um, RPGs was Tales from the Loop. Um, and you could see in their faces, like they've obviously seen these live streams before where they've watched um, dice camera action or critical role or uh, all that other stuff where the people are like bombarded by, you know, I've got to make a this check and a that check and I need to know all these dice. And we're like, no, 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 mm. no. You know that dice that you get in Monopoly? We just want that one. That's it. We, you can bring one if you want. I'll have about 500 in a 
suitcase behind me but you know that kind of stuff you don't need to know about who's the god of thingy what's it um and the amulet of abacanezer or whatever you just need to know about the 80s and we'll make it a little bit weird because that's fun isn't it um (laughs) and yeah we went from that um and that's what we'll probably talk well i know we're going to talk about in a minute but the the stuff that's on um the free league workshop is what we ran in those sessions Mm. um so they were they were just nice short kind of sort of familiar kind of sessions um and it was it was genuinely beautiful like to see some of the players kind of slowly pick up how rpgs worked and slowly sort of thinking oh oh no i've got it now right okay my kid's gonna do this this is what we're gonna do guys this is what we're gonna do um and then i'm gonna smack him across the head with my guitar because that's my iconic item i'm gonna use some more stuff from the dice and i've got yeah you know that kind of thing and um, so that was my first um my first free league one uh interestingly the first time i've played as a player was on the ap that was my first that was my first yeah that was my first (laughs) first time as a player um, for a free league game because I've only ever ran them uh, but yeah it was it was beautiful it was a really lovely change of pace for for um, RPGing. So that's brilliant so that was again in your local friendly local gaming store yeah yeah I guess in, as part of the organized play program sort of mm-hmm. tryout session and I'm really intrigued to see uh, to ask how people reacted people who as you say had come seeing a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons on Stranger Things and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or, or were they all new to the hobby, or were there some RPG vets who are experiencing Tales from the Loop for the first time? There, yeah, there was a mixture of both. So there were there were some folks who um, had clearly, like my best friend or my partner, loves playing Dungeons and Dragons, but I I can't stand this fantasy stuff. I can't stand this sci- sci-fi stuff. But they've badgered me into coming to this thing about being a kid in the 80s. I'll give it a try so I can have a peaceful night and then we can go out and get some beers. It was clearly like a couple of folks doing that. Um, And those were the ones who were like, oh, okay, I get why you love this stuff now. I get it. All right. Are you doing this again next week? No, we're just running this as intro sessions. You can can buy the book over there, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Oh, okay. Um, That that sort of stuff. Um, And then the veteran kind of players, um, you could see that there was enough of a mechanics. I know Tales from the Loop is probably the the sort of lightest kind of. Yeah. Yeah. There's enough in there to kind of get them going, oh, okay. How do I, how do I give them another how do they get a bonus from that i'm gonna i'm gonna work this mechanics out and do the stuff and now mm. they've got 15 dice roll them kind of thing and so mm. it was it was good it, it sort of bridged the gap between both but i think the the accessibility of the the, the sort of familiar setting is what brought a lot of those those folks in and it was it was genuinely an eye-opener for the the guys who hadn't done any and sort of learn why we love it why we're mm. And um, one of the things that I've noticed about people who play free league games is you don't get much of that sort of min-maxing going on. Um, And and people tend to get into the role-playing and use the mechanics to help them role-play. I remember remember seeing on on one um, alien, uh, on the alien discord, somebody saying, oh, if I do this, that and this, I've got all this stuff. I'm so great. And everyone just said, don't be stupid. What are you doing? This is a role-playing game. This isn't D&D. So did you find 
much of that? Did you find players were trying to min-max it or were they just trying to see they whether... They were at the start, yeah. Them? They were at yeah. the start and then they realised that in general, it doesn't, doesn't do much to... Like you might succeed massively at this role, which is great, um, but you've still got to work out other bits and pieces of the mystery and you've still got to, you know, deal with bits, you know, and yeah. the only way you're going to get better is, is by um, this scene where we work it out. You can't just say, oh, well, I'm going to spend 20 minutes with, with my mentor and feel better. Yeah. What do you talk about? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we, uh, oh, one of the best ones I remember was like, oh, well, I sit down next to my dad as we're watching match of the day. Um, and we use the, the football um, on the TV as a metaphor for me falling out with my friends. <laughs> and my dad, my dad works this out and, and he talks about how, you know, the, the person who was doing it knew, knew more players than I can remember, but he you knew how such and such a player fell out with so-and-so, but they had to get together on a Saturday and play football and, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of stuff. And that was like, uh, that was genuinely like, oh no, I like it. You, you now yeah. you've worked it out. You can't just say, no, we watch TV together. Yeah. What do you watch? And those that was one of, of the things I really liked about Tales from the Loop. The one time I've run it, actually, um, the, the, the single time I've run it, was you, it, it, it gets the players to narrate some of the actual outcome and the result of what you're talking, what the scene is. It's not all down to the GM to tell them, oh, your dad's there and he's, you know, grumpy or drunk or whatever. It's up to the player to build that scene and mm. you know and make it mundane, like you say, make it about match of the day. Yeah. Like I think that's you know that's one of the favourite things for me about Tales from the Loop. Yeah, I loved um, just sort of like the way we typically start one of these sessions would be like, all right, we're going to make the the entrance, the the opening credits. And the way the opening credits works is we start at somebody's house and they're packing up to come and meet you at the hideout. So what does your house look like? Are your parents mm. home? And then, and then whose house are you going to? Who volunteers next? And that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So we walk down and do you go on bikes? Do you catch a bus? Do you live far away? And that kind of, st- and, and by the time you get to the last person, who's normally the shyest person or the person who's never done it, they're like, oh no, I get it now. I've got it. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. My kids, we open the fridge and we see that there's a couple of pickle jars and um, it's not hard for me to steal the can of carling and the bottle of lemonade from my dad. Cause he's not in, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you get it, you get it. And that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's really good. Um, but no, not so much min-maxing. Um, after maybe the first 15 minutes because it, yeah. it, it doesn't build on you know you can min max your dungeons and dragons character and it's really cool when you roll a six but you get 93 on the die to hit <laughs> and that's that's a cool thing that's like oh my god how good are you um but for tales of the loop and the other other free league it's like no you did it you still did it you did it mm. well how did yeah. you do it though what yeah. do you what what does this look like how does this feel what are you what are you trying to get from this um so you wrote these special adventures for for your local audience. Mm, yes, definitely. And uh, we we bought one of these, didn't we, uh, Dave? When we, we were did. looking at the mm, yeah. what was available in the Free League Workshop uh, a few episodes ago, uh, without realizing actually that at the time that it was uh, our patron Millie that had done this, and and <laughs> you viewed that one. You you've got a you, you went to university at Lancaster, didn't you, Dave? I did, yeah. So you, you love the, the Lancashire. I love the Northwest, absolutely. The yeah. thing. Um, you, you made a local game for local people, if I can quote uh, the absolutely. guys from Weston Vasey. 
absolutely. Uh, we made a nice big map. We printed it out, um, you know, like A3 size, like a nice big A. You don't really use the loop map in the game, but it, it mm. gives them something to kind of feel and see. And, yeah. you know, it's got, it's got fake coffee stains on and it looks like it's been folded 500 times and you've pulled it out of your mum's mm. purse kind of thing. Um, so we made that um, and we, we picked the royal we, I. I picked some um, uh, local um, local legends because um, I think everybody has them around their their place. So everybody in kind of knows the the step the story of like the big scary dogs that attack people on a, a, a traveling adventure. You know, the Bargast. Yeah. But, but when I was kind of looking at those kind of things, like the Lancashire Bargast is rumored to only attack people who are evil. Um, and that kind of stuff. Mm. So, so there's loads of like little local twists, local weird things. Um, there's a bunch more um, little little bits and pieces that are this collective kind of myth. But as you dial it in and bring it home, there's always weird little tweaks. Like, um, I guess it's like slang and and food and that kind of stuff. And we wanted to make something that was people could feel was a little bit local, a little bit mm. familiar, um, and then then sort of paint it with Tales from the Loop and put the wonder in it and the weirdness and the, <laughs> the exploration. I can, I can feel a, a, a Verson scenario coming on with the Bargast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would fit perfectly in there, yeah. Yeah, the spooky spooky black dog that yeah. appears to attack folk. Um, well, that was a lovely story. I, like, I really liked, I mean, no spoilers, but I like the little twist that's in there, which is really nice. Yeah, it's... Um, um, it's it was it was interesting because obviously uh, you guys know it really well. You, when you write a scenario, you have like five thousand bits of paper, mm -hmm. five thousand notes, and that and you know it intimately and inside out. And then trying to turn that into, well, so I, I imposed upon myself this really strict word count for them. Like mm. I, need, I need to drill through all this stuff, and we've play tested this, you know, six or seven times, so we know roughly the the bits that are, I thought were brilliant the best bits in the in the scenario nobody ever went over there why did i write that <laughs> you know, nobody touched it's, that with a bar pulch it's there for next time yeah it's there for next time and then the next time comes and nobody ever touches that again and you think all right okay, maybe <laughs> i maybe i'm just weird and i would think i would approach this in a certain way and the players are much more sensible or not as players yeah, well then you put that in the next scenario yeah you, eventually you, somebody will stumble across it yeah um but yeah a really strict kind of drill down to keep it focused and and just what what you needed to keep a nice uh, open gaming, you know, organized play style to maybe two and a half hours of, of adventure that can mm. be wrapped up. Mm. So there is a sense of, of like, I've tried every mechanic this game can, can give me, or, you know, at least a, a broad sort of sweep of it all and still leave feeling satisfied and, and not like, mm -hmm. oh, well, we didn't really finish. I don't know what's going to happen with that. I was just like, oh, trails off yeah. into nothing. The one thing that, that disappointed me when I read it was that it, it stopped so soon. <laughs> I could have read more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all about the, um, the different but I guess Keep keep people wanting more. I guess that's the uh, that's the that's the trick, isn't it? Yeah. There's two more we can buy, Dave. She's yeah, there are two. <laughs> uh, there there are um there are eight in total. Um, but oh, these, really? Yeah, there are eight in total. There are eight tracks on the mixtape. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but these three that are already published are the were the easiest ones to kind of go through. The other five or so have not really been play tested as much. I'm trying to work through. The next one's called the King of Cats, um, mm. which is an interesting sort of animally 
science teacher gone awry kind of adventure. But because I've only play tested it maybe one and a half times, I'm a little, a little less confident in I'm just sort of streamlining the right bits rather mm. than it was it was very easy. The bogger was the easiest one. We've I've played that so many times. I love it. I love the great aunt in it. She's bonkers. Um, the <laughs> the bogger breaking stuff is great. There's some wonderful scenes where where um, stuff grown ups can get involved in a in a slightly obtuse angle, making more trouble for the kids kind of thing. Um, and that was the easiest one to write down. And then um, the witch with Meg was originally a things from the flood because we had some folks who came back and said, mm. oh, now we want to make, a, we've heard about this grown up one the, with the teenagers. Can we do that? And it's like, okay, yeah, we can work something out. So the, uh, there's no things from the flood on, on the, um, the workshop. So we sort of put it in the things, tales from the loop kind of stuff with a sort of twist. Oh, yeah, sure. I, right. I, I think things from the flood is one, is, is the one game that's really been unfairly treated is that right way but badly treated in that it's been overshadowed by so much other stuff that's been coming out and it sort of snuck out in between things from the loop um, tales from the loop and alien and yeah, everything yeah. else they've got forbidden lands they've got all the big headlines and it's a lovely game and i got it and i'd love to to run it mm. i know i said to our patrons i'll run something months ago which i haven't done but i'm a smidge busy mm. um but yeah i think it's one of those that really deserves a bit more love i think it does. It, 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 it's familiar enough in the, the, the loop, the tales um, things. And I like how your, your pride becomes your shame. Now you're a teenager, you're ashamed of things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. And, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. And, and it does, does get a little bit more dangerous. Like, uh, you know, we always joke when we're starting um, Tales from the Loop, like this is not a game about kids dying. If you want to play that, let's go and play Delta Green. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's go and play something pretty grim and, and uh, yeah this is not about that although you know the similar kind of cthulhu elements might crop up this is not going to happen in this game so this is kind of mm. safe in that aspect uh, but then you get to to flood and um you know your kids can die your, your teens can you know shuffle off this mortal coil as it is although i find it really interesting that they they they're quite clear that they don't have to die to leave the campaign no. So your character might die in the campaign in effect that they've been moved away because the parents have decided their friends are a bad influence or yeah. they've gone a bit mad and they've gone to a hospital for a while to, mm -hmm. to, to get better or something. So they're still out of the campaign, but they don't have, doesn't have to be the end of their story forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. They have to see their bloody body lying on the beach or something if you don't want to. No, no, it's, it's good. It's, it's a nice sort of way out that doesn't mm. include viscera and explosions. 17 year olds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think you're right. It does, it does need a little bit more love and a little bit more um, <laughs> hype. Um, <laughs> but I understand uh, massive alien fan. I understand why it kind of was like, Ooh, bigger, shiny quick that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I guess that's natural, isn't it? But yeah. Um, so um, uh, just quickly tying up the, the loose ends on that. Um, you, you, I happen to know that you just checked your account and you're making money. You've sold a few copies. How many copies of your adventures have you sold so far? Oh, I don't know. I didn't realise there was going to be a quiz. Hang on. Oh, <laughs> <don't worry>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I guess in terms of of, um, of sales, enough to buy the PDF of the Coriolis book, Excellent. Um, and good, good. and some of the the. Um, 
what am I, words, words are hard. Um, some of the um, supplements as well. Um, here mm. we go, royalty report. This month, um, in the last 30 days, what have we got? 12, 25, 25 of the, the sort of $2 ones um, and nine free ones. Mm, cool. So that's, you know, that's, it, it's not nothing. No, I'm really, excellent. I'm really excited. Every time I check the, like, um, cause we, we were talking today, we thought the drive-thru might have disappeared or something. So oh, yeah, yeah. fled to, fled to drive-thru RPG and was like, oh wow, I've sold some stuff. It's really exciting to see it. Um, <laughs> uh, it kind of crushes that imposter syndrome out yeah. out of you when you get it you're like oh my god i'm put this thing on um and I, I know you were talking about it a little while ago on when you were going through some of the free league stuff it, it's hard to put things on at a price um mm. you feel mm. like you feel like i had so much fun doing this thing why should i be charging why should i be charging for it, for it? Yeah. but then but then i sit down and i think about like the hours i've sat in front of InDesign going does that no <laughs> no that doesn't go there oh how do i where did it go kind of thing and then also mm. the the vicious editing and the the proofreading you have to go through and my poor printer died when i was trying to do this because i would <laughs> i would have to print out a copy i'm so old and i do the same yeah, yeah i yeah. have to print out a copy so i can circle bits and go through it and then you know draw lines and that kind of stuff and you think no that is actual that is actual work and and yeah. deserves a little bit of monetization if mm. only for someone to sort of realize it is work and an effort has gone into producing it rather than just having a laugh with your buddies i spent three hours with indesign the other day trying to put one picture on one page and in the <laughs> end they got it in the right place but it i don't know how it was luck <laughs> rather than I've still got no idea what I'm doing at yeah, all. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's curious At some point, based. when we can sit next to each other, I'll take you through InDesign. Yes, I know. You keep telling me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, need, I need hand-holding with that one. Uh, but I'm just realising we're, we're, we're eating into time here, and we want to talk about uh, something else that you're heavily involved in, and that oh, yeah. is UK Games Expo's Virtually Expo later probably actually by the time this comes out later this month this month yeah yeah so it's towards the end of august 21st to the 23rd um of august uh kicking off on friday evening um so it, it's as much as we can make like i say the royal we so i should probably explain um <laughs> i'm millie the seminars manager for the uk games expo there we go um, that, that puts it in context um uh, <laughs> so we were sort of umming and ahhing about what to do with the fact that anybody being in the same room as anybody else is literally cancelled this year. Uh, and um, Richard, who's the director, one of the directors of, of Expo, um, he was like, well, why don't we just try one of these virtual things? Um, and Tony, the other director, um, promptly was like, oh my God, I don't think you quite understand what you've asked there, Richard. Um, and eventually we worked it all out. Um, and it's, it's ticking along as we go right now. So we've got, we've got things happening on Twitch. We've got an integrated sort of exhibitor thing where you can just pop onto a virtual stand and see somebody on the stand kind of thing and have a, without needing to download Zoom. There's a Discord, there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, um, in my little sphere of, of Expo, um, I'm the seminars manager. So I've been um, pretty much doing what I would do in a real life Expo just collating loads of people to try and make some really cool events that we can go and see. Um, so everything from like, um, the, I don't know, shut up, sit down, sitting in a room and, and shouting weird stuff at people because that's, that's their brand of silliness um, <laughs> to um, some wonderful like niche events of how to write um, 
how to turn IP into RPGs from like, you know, like turning the Keyforge game into a Keyforge RPG and mm. stuff like that. Like, mm. what do you do? Well, how do you think? People like James Wallace who have done that sort of thing before are talking about it. Um, and then how to like navigate RPG law. Like what happens if you've got <laughs> loads of um, law, uh, which is run by these dodgy guys um, on Sunday morning. <laughs> um, well, and so- one, one dodgy guy, because it looks like I'm not going to have space on the panel now that Matt's kicked me off it. Yeah, I, I, I think I've found somebody better. I haven't quite confirmed it yet, but we've got somebody from America who thinks he can dial in to talk about World of Darkness. So oh, wow. that's another Scoops. great big chunk of law that um, mm. can be both exciting yeah. and, and when and when, and when the little one says roll over, somebody's got to fall out the other side and that looks <laughs> like it's going to be me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I manage all those kind of guys. So we're, we're doing that um, all on the UK Games Expo Twitch channel which is twitch.tv forward slash UK Games Expo. Um, and there's going to be about 29, 30 hours of content on that channel. Cool. There is another channel, which is called The Main Stage, which will be a little bit more hypeful of, of interviews with designers, which will be with um, Beasts of War. They're doing the, the, the main stage for us. Um, and it's looking like we're going to spill over onto another channel, um, which we're, we're just making sure we've got someone to, to manage for us with even more things to watch as well as also virtual rpg events so you can still get your tickets and go and play in uh, what did i see the 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 cathartic effects of inventorying with paris gonzo some beautiful rpg (laughs) weird stuff going on there i'm loving it and then tournaments and all open playing and all that kind of stuff so it's virtually uk games expo yeah that's it excellent well we're, we're looking forward to that i just got one more question probably not your area but the main stage Mm-hmm. is, I guess, the channel upon which they're going to be doing the UK Games Expo Awards? Oh, the awards, yeah. Um, we're trying to work out if we can force everybody to watch the awards via our, by just making it appear on every single channel we, um, we can. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the main stage will be where the, the awards are because there's, there's some... Uh, exciting free league things in the awards i've nothing to do with the awards, so i'm allowed to be excited about this uh, yeah there's, there's some cool stuff in that yeah and last year we were well i personally was a bit chuffed we our stall in the physical uh, games expo was not far two doors down sort of from the runequest stall mm-hmm. and uh, back then uh, which game was it it was forbidden lands was up against yeah. runequest for best rpg and uh, Forbidden Lands won, and so I felt a little bit proud, but also a little bit sad for my chums manning the uh, RuneQuest stall. And I now see Alien is against RuneQuest yet again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's two sides, two sides to the awards. Yeah. So there's the judges' choice, which is a, there's a panel of secret judges, I don't know who they are, mm. who go through all the events, and there's, there's more RPG-focused judges will go through the RPG stuff. And then there's the People's Award. Um, which the, the shortlist, you can, you'll be able to log into your thing and vote for the one you think should win. So, you know, it could be a double whammy of judges and people's awards. I don't know. Mm. You, have to, you have to do it. Yeah, it was a double whammy for us last year with, um, well, for Free League, I should say. We had nothing to do with Forbidden Lands. But, um, well, yeah, well, fingers yeah. crossed it might be, if it, if it is a double whammy this year, there is a small bit of us in that one. So, yes, there uh, is. <laughs> Humble brag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's really good. You know, no, I think you should, should brag. Dream, dream come true, frankly, to, to do something like that. Well, thanks very much for coming to talk yeah. to us, Millie. And also, of course, thank you for being a patron of the podcast. Because yes, absolutely. We love all our patrons. Thank you and for not killing me yesterday. Oh, actually, there is just one thing we need to talk about. 
Oh, okay. How was the game last night when we, the first episode that you appeared in of our Coriolis AP? It was my first um, event as a player for Free League. It was great. It was great fun. <laughs> I loved it. It was really exciting. Like, um, I'm like, sort of like, oh my God, I think this is going to happen. Oh, no. How do we stop? Oh, oh no, that didn't happen. <laughs> oh, no, this is going to happen. Oh, oh, that's weird. You know, it was all this kind of stuff. Um, and then it had elements of typical game, like, is seven the right score? Should I? Have I <laughs> Where have I made this mistake? No, it was great. I loved it. It was brilliant. Thank you brilliant. for thank you yeah. for including me. No, it's great. It's really great fun. Yes, yeah, so yeah. I, I think I really think this fun. act is going it's shaping up with, with just with a little bit of personal conflict that we had last night. It's shaping up to be a good one. So, mm. again, uh, people listening to this who aren't plugged in on the YouTube channel, come to our YouTube channel and watch that. Broadly speaking, every Monday except next Monday the third. Um, in the evening and uh, we're also at some point these episodes will appear on, on our podcast, podcast yeah. as well but we're some hours that is to say weeks weeks and weeks behind on <laughs> the icons I wonder who's editing that one me? I, yeah, yeah I show out an episode every week except when you want to put in your blooming alien adventure mate yeah. Oh, that, anyway, that was that, fun. Sorry, that was fun to listen to with Chompy yeah, cool. and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was walking home listening to that one and they, they stands on the side and goes, bad Chompy can and I just laugh <laughs> like a maniac walking home. It was great. Uh, yeah, I have, I have some good players uh, back here. Yeah. Yes. So uh, thank you again, Millie, for joining us. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks, Millie. Bye. Well, it was um, great to have Millie on the show. Uh, she's got so much to say. It was such an easy interview to do. I, I hardly said anything, which, in my in my opinion, is the sign of a good interviewer. Even though you did all the questioning, <laughs> that's fine. Um, Generally, it's a sign of a good podcast when you hardly say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it up to our, our our listeners to decide on that one. Um, but yeah, I think. Um, great to pull out UK Games Expo. So it's really good that the, the expo is still going ahead uh, virtually. It's so it's the twenty first to the twenty third of August, I think. So in about three weeks from now. And um, yeah, I hadn't realised quite how involved Millie was in mm-hmm. in all of that. But um, yeah, that's great, and that's really good. Um, one of the things that I I re- I thought was a great idea is this idea of sort of multi-table gaming um, mm. around around the same kind of scenario. So I, know, I guess that's really hard to do virtually, but when we're back together again as, as a community actually seeing each other um, face-to-face, I wonder if there's something we could do in there or propose to Free League around doing something yeah. like that if they wanted the space. I mean, obviously you need to pay for the space, so they may not want to do that. But you could definitely see some some real... I mean, Twilight 2000 would be ideal for that kind of thing, albeit a genre that maybe not everybody yeah, would so, want to play. Yeah, so my, my, my big question is, if we were going to do this with Free League, which game should it be? And the obvious choice in terms of publicity and promotion for next year is Twilight 2000, as you say. And indeed, that idea of various groups of scavengers and surviving uh, survivors uh, from the uh, mini third world war uh, running around Poland and uh, you know that the setting seems to fit there but is that a bit too niche as you said mm. would forbidden lands be 
more accessible because you know everybody's into fantasy or maybe mutant or alien or coriolis or whatever which which, which of the other games apart from twilight 2000 do you think would be the best one to do i think the easiest one to kind of visualize as a gm or somebody writing a, a kind of multifaceted campaign like that would probably be forbidden lands i think mm. um because it would be the easiest to get into and as you say everybody's in gaming is is familiar with the fantasy setting you know whether or not they're interested in it anymore um yeah but i think that uh, that would work really easily i was wondering whether there could be something uh you could do around think um tales from the loop uh, Ooh, you could, around actually, some kind of yes. some kind of school event thing that you've got different groups of kids doing stuff that's coming toward you know or a scenario that's 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 fitting around a school fate, say, and it's set on mm. the school grounds, but actually there's something else going on, and each group has got a part of the puzzle that they've got to solve, and could discovers some... a different yeah different aspect of the mystery. Mm. Oh, oh, that could be a fun thing. So as that well. could be fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm riffing a bit now, but you could have uh, a group of bullies who are trying to stop the Ooh, others yes or um, you could you, play you could that, do it sure but um you know if you were going to go off the american uh high school drama tropes you could have the jocks the geeks the um <laughs> the the popular girls all the various different cliques of uh of popular u.s school drama if not real life i hasten to add and and they're all they've all got different um, agendas and stuff, but they're all looking at different aspects of the same mystery. Oh, yeah, that sounds like that could be fun. And what you could do is, if each table was was um, each of the archetypes, but you could then have it that the, the 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 popular girls have got to go and convince the geeks to help them with something, and you could yeah. have, you could have a, a, a kind of a separate table with a separate GM. And one or two of the popular girls goes to that table and one or two of the geeks goes to that table and they have a quick 20-minute or 15-minute role play there about that interaction. Then they go back to their own tables with the outcome of that conversation whilst the rest Ooh, of their group is carrying That might be getting too complex. It might to be. This past Millie. It might but of course, be, actually, but... you know, Millie's... Most of her Year Zero engine uh, GMing experience is also with Tales from the Loop. So, yeah. Um, uh, uh, that yeah. might be the place to start. We we yeah. must talk about this some more. Yeah, uh, and have I mean, a chat with Thomas and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean it's a long way off. Um, yeah, obviously if yeah. we think of doing it for next year, perhaps if we all get back. I but again, I I still think it's so much easier to do that kind of thing in a physical environment rather than a virtual one. It probably is. Probably yeah. is. I mean that's where it's been done. You know. Yeah. We're going to be learning. Standing on the shoulders of other giants that have run that sort of yes, uh, game before, yeah. and they've all done it physically. And unless any of them come back from maybe this virtual Gen Con that's going on at the moment, saying, "Oh wow, we just did a multi-table thing online, and it was fab," and yeah, here's yeah. exactly how you do it, that other, may that may change our thing. The other thing that I think work, would work really well, and and I think Millie mentioned it is the idea of a, a Star Trek game where you bring your ship and you bring your crew mm. to a to a big fight with the Borg or something. I can't remember who had the idea, but I thought that would be a, a really good, really good thing to do. Um, and it's also a little segue. So I've spoken a lot about Star Trek Adventures and the 
the things I love about it, the things I don't love about it. Um, I'm just for fun. I'm doing a fan-based version in the Year Zero engine, which I'm kind of mm-hmm. working on at the moment, and I've just about finished Starship Combat. Um, well, the first draft of it needs playtesting um, yeah. because because I want to hear players say locking phases, and I want to hear uh, you know all the things that I, I want it to feel like I'm on the bridge in Wrath of Khan or um, the Undiscovered Country. So that's those of watching those things. It's, it, it's that kind of cinematic feel that I want to try and bring to the game, and I'm not sure for me anyway that Star Trek Adventures does that in the right way for me. Anyway, that's so, a slight segue there, but um, segue, yeah, a slight, uh, just diversion. It's not just a diversion though; it's a segue because we would like to talk about the other game, the other Year Zero game that we've been putting together and that our patrons have seen um and that is tales of the old west now yeah. we've just done version three as you said in the intro to the uh, program and you've just been play testing it and i wanted to ask how that's gone it's gone really well in some senses uh well i think in terms of play testing it's gone really well because it has thrown up um as you want playtesting to do, it's throwing up issues that we need to consider. Things um, that don't work. Things okay. that don't work or don't work in the right way. Um, so I... The the actual... We've had three sessions. Um, one session zero and then one scenario, basically, which ran over two gaming sessions. The the actual way it works, the the, <clears throat> the meat of the game, as it were, works really well. The, the look and the feel, I think, is coming across really well. We've got people invested in their characters and in their um, location. Uh, for example, one of them owns a saloon. He's a he's an African-American, not been emancipated for that long. He's pulled himself up to this position by the, the strength of his you know, character and, and, and work and you know, his own effort. He now owns an inn, uh, a tavern, uh, a saloon in the town. And he's really the player for that character. He's really invested in the character, really invested in that location. Um, I think the things that go beyond that, which haven't worked so well, we've got uh, one player is a a young preacher who is mm-hmm. uh, running the church. Now, our business rules never really considered the idea of the How church. How do you do the business of a church? I mean, the Americans excel at this, actually. There are yeah, some very yeah. wealthy churches, <laughs> but how so, do we model it in the game? Yes. So I think it's, 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 a model, it's a model around... I mean, you can probably model it in exactly the same way because you know, it, it is a business in that mm. if the preacher does a good job and gets a good congregation, they will donate more money to him. So therefore, he's providing a service for money. He just doesn't say how much he's going to charge. So, mm. I'm, so I'm thinking there is a way we can do do something around that it, the creation of it how it grows how it starts might be different so in the business rules we're saying that you need to invest a bit of money a bit of capital into your business to get it going which i think is reasonable um if you've got a church building that you've just taken over which is the situation in the game that we've got um does that come with some capital already or are you just taking over an empty hall and you stand or fall by how strong your preaching is and how how quickly you yeah. get a congregation and how quick, how generous they are in their donations to you. Um, but we can definitely use the business rules for that. It's just, I think the beginning, the, gen, the, the, the genesis of that church business might be different from the genesis of a blacksmithing business or a saloon business or something. 
Um, yeah, you two were Genesis there, and the, that's a biblical term. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I'm just wondering whether there's some stuff there. You know, we've got some election rules. I wonder whether looking at the election rules, you know, in terms of gathering support, mm. might might be a way we could go with them. Um, yeah, that's a good I idea. I guess if there's a church building that exists already, there are people already who would come to church. People aren't going to ignore the church building, are they, in this... Time. As we've said, this is a time when there's lots of um, very pious people in, yeah. the, in the American West. So, so I, I think it depends that there is... What we haven't done is prescribed in the rules what happens if your town has got a church. So in, yeah. in this situation, with a character rolling up a preacher, uh, with a player rolling up a preacher, um, I ruled it that the church had basically been built by a previous preacher who's either left or died or something. So the church has been empty mm. for a while. And he's come in and taken over the church, presumably maybe even sent here to, to re-establish the church in the town. Um, so he's coming in afresh, effectively. Mm. But again, I don't think there's a, you know, you... Sorry, I, I'm, I'm just reminded about the preacher in Deadwood. Um, yeah. And Deadwood has become a bit of a touchstone for us. I mean, we started off, I think... Um, uh, thinking a lot about you know the 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 high noon gunfight, uh, but we we've moved very much into Deadwood territory, the building, the the growing township, mm. and there was a preacher in one series of that at least who wasn't a great preacher and was a bit ill. I seem to remember. Yeah, but he, I don't think he had a church. I think you know they they he was preaching in the field. Yeah, that's uh, very true. Yeah. So um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we need to look at some models around that. Yeah. Before we started recording, you, you said that some scales had fallen from your eyes and I was wondering yeah. what they were. So I think there is a a really important principle that as a game developer and game designer, you have to hold on to. And that principle is um, if it doesn't work, let it die. Uh, yeah. Even if it's a cherished thing that you had in your mind right from the start of designing the game that you really wanted to work. And for me, I think the, the 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 what I wanted to deliver to the game in terms of the seasonal element of it isn't working. Right. And I think it gets in the way. So I'm I'm going to I think I haven't looked at it properly yet, but I think I'm going to propose that for our first final version 1.0 that we probably take out the vast majority of the seasonal role stuff. Um, I think we can replace it with something that is much is is just really light and just maybe sets the tone for what's going on in the in the location, rather than specific roles for each individual player. Uh, we would need mm. to we would need to keep the business stuff, but I think we need to might maybe streamline some of the economy element of it, which mm -hmm. I think we probably can do. Oh yeah, the final thing was the 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 actual township rules themselves. I think they are working, but I think they're too generous at the moment. From just running them once or twice, I think the township is going to grow into a very big, effective town, Thriving far, town. Too, yeah. far too far too quickly. But I think that's, I didn't. That's, I, I felt a little bit that they were too generous actually yeah. when we were last reviewing them. But, but I um, think I think a tweak of those numbers will will settle that. I think the mechanic works fine. I think we just need to tweak the the numbers, some of the numbers, some of the bonuses that you might get. So I think that will work fine as well. Um, cool. So, but I think on on the whole, it's going really well. We're getting some really good feedback. The guys love it. They couldn't wait to get playing it again. They 
kind of been disappointed that I hadn't been running any for the last year or so, which is brilliant. Mm. It's a great sense that they were keen to play. Um, but I think my 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 thoughts around wanting to take the real pleasure I got from a game like Pendragon with the winter rolls and the way that builds your family and port that into a thing that works in the West. I still think the idea of the generational thing, your family building your place in the world, I think we need to do something for that. But I think the way that we're doing it at the moment is 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 wrong. It's not it doesn't okay. doesn't work in the way that I wanted it to. Let me stick something in that I think I said before, but I will say it again just to embarrass you live here on the radio. Um, you can't embarrass is, me, Matthew. I'm 40 years beyond that. So uh, so in Pendragon, uh, you've only had two generations in, in our Pendragon campaign. I've gone through about four different generations. <laughs> That's true. Uh, uh, but you've been surprisingly... Um, lucky shall we say or at least long-lived in both your yeah. generations um but you know that has that has been a considerable amount of time that we've been looking at there the actual snapshot of the american west in in the in the realms of history is a relatively short time yeah is generational i mean there's, there's definitely development and stuff like that i think we want to create is it actually generational development or is there really only one or two generations of the American West. Yeah, so I, I think there's 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 two things here. One is kind of um, what I had in my head when we very first when we very first talked about a Wild West game, and the other is kind of that, like you say, that definition of what actually was the Wild West. And you mm. are you are talking, you know, eighteen seventy to nineteen hundred, give or take a few years either side. Um, so I think the idea of the generational thing comes in, and it might be a supplement for future yeah is that you 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 start your character in 1800 say or 1750 mm. and you have you then go through actually see i think that's where i'm coming from so i think my generational idea for the game works well if you look at it in that kind of 150 year scale yes what we are doing though actually is looking at the 1870s yeah and you're right it doesn't fit that generational sense so i think the rules that i've tried to create might work much better for that longer term thing. I still think they need changing, but mm -hmm. um, they don't work in a Deadwood setting. And yeah, so I think that's why well, I'm, that's, that's why I'm suggesting we should probably take them out. Maybe yeah. do something slightly different, which is much lighter touch. I also had comments from the players when I was explaining. We were talking about it <clears throat> after the last playtest, and I was explaining what I was trying to achieve with it, where I was coming from. One of them commented that um, they would find it uh, disappointing or, or not much fun if they'd spent some time building a family and then a dice roll just killed their son or their daughter. Um, which I can see that. Mm. I mean, it works in Pendragon. Um, I, yeah. It is interesting, though. So, uh, so, you know, we've been doing quite a lot of reading around this, uh, both factual reading and looking at what I guess you would call the Western canon. Mm. Um, so you're you're about halfway through... Um, I'm reading Lonesome Dove at the moment. Lonesome Dove, yeah. yeah. And Lonesome Dove is a great story where, you know, actually suddenly, bam, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not well, going to say who. I haven't, I haven't got there <laughs> yet, so... Uh... Uh, yeah, you know, but the, this is a thing where, where effectively 
if you like, family members do suddenly get taken away from you in a way that is quite harsh. horrible. Yeah. And, and harsh. And I, I wonder whether that is actually an aspect of the Western game. How much fun, you know, again, you've got then this toss up of, uh, well, we do want our players to have fun. We don't want it to be miserable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, not, yeah. <laughs> it's not alien, for Christ's sake. But yeah. Um, uh, but there, there is a thing about uh, if, we're, if we're doing families, uh, how, how do we do that thing where actually life is pretty harsh, particularly yeah. uh, for younger people? So and child, like child mortality is actually pretty high. Yeah, exactly. Um, so and the yeah. other thing, I, we, we don't want to talk about this for too long because we've got lots of alien content to talk about as well. But the other thing I just wanted to touch on while we're doing while we're on this one, the thing that's still troubling me, and particularly when we when we sent this out to the um, to our patrons, uh, that you know they've commented on it. They've given us some more stuff to read, which is mm. some great books I've got right next to me right now. Um, Partic- particularly our American patrons who've got a, a to- uh, yeah, our totally patrons. different cultural appreciation of some of the issues that that we might exactly not have. Yeah. so much close to this, and that's actually a kind of point that I wanted to bring out. You know, this is a a difficult period of history, as we say in our little introductory box text that we've got in our game. Yeah. We know it's a difficult period of history. It's quite complex and uh, it's, it is colonial. Actually, at the end of the day, yeah. it is a bunch of white folk deeming over um, a bunch of you know people that haven't got quite such white skin of various other different shades and uh, kind of pushing them out of the country and saying, right, this is America now. Well, yeah, like you say, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's the exploitation of... Of the others by by the yes. white the white colonists, yeah. And one might say that this is what D and D has been about for forty years, and uh, we just called the others orcs. But um, <laughs> but it is you know I don't know whether it's I think it's interesting that most of the Western themed games that we see kind of make an other of the supernatural. So most of the Western yeah. games we've seen are kind of weird West. Uh, for, for in you know however they get there, be it some weird cataclysm or discovery of some weird element. So the supernatural is a big part of the West, and we started off by saying we don't want to have a supernatural West. We want a person versus person West, where where the bad the bad guys are people. people. And yeah, I'm still struggling with how we do this in a way that is not you know you know I was it's great to hear that you've got this African American barkeep. And, you know, we, we, we've already uncovered loads of stories of African-American lawmen and things like that. But there is this thing that I feel troubled. I'm, I'm reading about the Texas Rangers at the moment. And, um, you know, th- there's a difference between the myth of the Texas Rangers and what they actually did. Yeah. And I wonder whether as Europeans, you know, uh, we are distanced from the actual history a little bit. And for us, the myth is almost everything of the West. And that's why, you know, spaghetti Westerns are so iconic. And um, uh, Blueberry, which is this great Western comic, but it comes out of France and stuff like that. And Western, uh, you know, one of the oldest Western games comes out of Sweden. So, yeah, I'm I'm struggling to see how we can get that balance right, because I really want to try. Mm. And I don't think we've got it yet in this version. So I think there's a thing here. And you're absolutely right. And I think other games previously have, yeah, they've basically they've dodged the issue. Mm. They've, they've either dodged the issue, as you say, by my by making it supernatural um, antagonists, or by making the game look a little bit less serious. So mm. if you if you look at a lot of the, the 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 Wild West games out there, 
the the artwork is slightly cartoony. Yep. Um, yep. And I think that is all about consciously or unconsciously about um, kind of allowing them. You know, I don't want to be harsh on these game designers at all because um, you know they're all good games and I've enjoyed playing a lot of them. But um, is it? It's just kind of allowing them to park the issue just out of sight by mm. by changing, like you say, by by mythologizing or uh, or or um, cartooning the, the the actual reality. Now, I I want we want uh, you know in this a gritty game where where the the threat comes from other people I mean, and the environment, but also but mm. principally from other people. But those people don't have to be. The, you know the Native Americans. Yeah. yeah. You know they're not the bad guys in this at all. Um, I think we want to be looking for shades of grey, but I think we want to be using it to call out kind of the the, the badness in human humanity. Yes. But, but in a way that gives you a satisfying story. So I mean we've talked about this quite a bit, but let me just say a little bit about the the first um, scenario I, I gave my group, um, and they yeah. they're they're all slightly misfits. So one of them is if you know this African American who's running the 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 least pop well, not the least popular but the the, the grungiest um, saloon because bar well, in town because yeah. the respectable people don't go there it's only the low life who haven't got much money go there and one of them is a um, an American Indian uh, a Native mm-hmm. American who is down on his luck and has basically got absolutely nothing um, so they're all slightly misfitting in one way or another, and they've kind of come together as this group. So they were charged by um, uh, by one of the most senior, richest people in town to find his daughter, who'd run away, and she's a teenager. Um, he he'd argued with her. He knew that if he sent his men after her, she would then just run. Whereas if he sent people that she didn't know, they might be able to get to her before she realizes they're looking for her. Anyway, the whole point of this was that this bloke is called um, Ellis Rockcliffe. He he's basically beaten his daughter up really badly because she wants to run off with a cowboy, and she's so black and blue um, that he's hidden her away, and he's concocted this story that she's run away um, to explain her the lack of her presence. The idea being that he's going to hide her out in a cabin a few miles outside of town with one of his men. Until she heals, and then miraculously she'll be found, and everything mm. will be fine. So he's preserving his reputation. So they followed the trail. They found her, her murdered servant. The way they tried to make it look like wolves had eaten her, but they could tell that she'd been killed with a knife. Um, so they then ended up with a quandary. So they found the daughter. They found the the guards who were being employed by Rockcliffe, and they basically said, "Well, you can either take her back into town, and Rockcliffe." We'll never forgive you for it, and you'll never fit in here. Or you can just play along. She stays here till she heals up. You go into town, pretend you didn't find anything. Everyone thinks she's dead. Um, and they had quite a big debate about that. And in the end, the group decided to play along. But there were a couple of people who were like, I really don't like this. This is not right. And they've now taken sort of personal vendettas against Rockcliffe that we can now play out further down in the mm. game. So... So the idea, you know, the idea was they were balancing the kind of what's right morally with what's right for their survival uh, in the town, and it worked really well. But that's the kind Excellent. of that's the kind of story I think we want to be aiming to tell. Yeah, it, and I've know, got to say that I do think one of the mechanics that I like, and I hope it's working in the playtesting version because it's new this time, is your new reputation mechanic, 
which, um, you know, I gave you a hard time over in creation. But uh, I think we've come up with something that works really well. Uh, how's that going? Haven't really had to use it so much yet, actually. Mm. Um, it, it's it's proved really useful in uh, session zero. It gave the players... So I gave the players the the um, uh, the freedom to kind of choose where on that they they wanted to be okay. so there's basically yeah. a, there's a there's a matrix which goes which gives you a, a wide range of different sort of options as to how people see you it may not be how you are but it's how people see you um so i gave them quite a lot of leeway to decide what they wanted and then i obviously had to agree with it that it wasn't something that was completely bonkers um that worked really well and it helped them define their characters i haven't really used it in play yet um i think the next scenario probably will I haven't worked out exactly what it's going to be doing, but I think it's going to be based around a big poker game or something. So we can then test the gambling rules as well as uh, mm. as well as the reputation rules. Um, okay. Yeah. Right. Well, we, we, we'll hear from more from you anon after that test. We we also want to run a test for our patrons, but yeah. we're not going to make any promises because you made a promise back in April about running a game for patrons, which you still haven't done. <laughs> and at the moment we're kind of at capacity but we'd love to get our patrons involved in a playtest yeah. so something i hope to do maybe a little bit later on well you were um, thinking but... of doing that i mean i think yeah if nothing else we should be able to run a couple of session zeros and get senses from a wider group of people um yeah and you know our patrons are great they will give us great feedback um if we give them the chance the other thing i promised to talk about last time was after your piece on the UPP in yeah. Alien, I thought I should do something similar for the Three World Empire. Indeed. Let's have a listen. So, what do we know about the Three World Empire? The rulebook tells us that, on Earth, its member states are not contiguous. They don't share borders with each other, like the United Americas. Instead, on Earth... The Three World Empire includes the UK, Japan, Indonesia, India, Papua New Guinea, Kenya and Fiji, which, bar Japan, sounds a bit like the current Commonwealth. Page 223 suggests it was formed in the 2180s, but that's obviously wrong, as that is the game's present the book's timeline instead mentions cooperation from the 2030s and then a formal union in 2088. Indeed, it seems that both the United Americas and the Union of Progressive Peoples were both formed after and in response to the creation of the Three World Empire. So can we say then that the Three World Empire is the first space superpower? I think we can. And given that it is called the Three World Empire, can we assume that it has dominance over the three worlds that give it its name, Earth, Mars and Titan? Uh no... I mean, obviously, it doesn't run Earth. The United Americas and the UPP have their share of power, and the European Union still exists, though weakened after a number of members ally with the UPP. We know this because the Fiorina penal colony in Alien 3 isn't apparently an EU 
and a three-world empire project, suggesting cooperation on a number of projects. But Britannia, or her Anglo-Japanese equivalent, still kicks ass on Mars and Titan, right? Yeah, no. Just like Earth, different powers run different parts of these planets. According to the United States Colonial Marines Technical Manual, the UAE have a colony at Valles Marineris on Mars, for example. Is this the result of pre-faster-than-light colonisation? Do worlds further away fall to single powers more readily? After all, there is an Anglo-Japanese arm of the galaxy. And yet even such a distant world as Lena 349 is disputed territory. The United States Colonial Marines helped quell an uprising on that world and yet have not left, much to the annoyance of Governor of the Three World Empire's frontier colonies, Vija Reddy. Personally, I think the United Americas prompted the rebellion in the first place to give them a reason to force the Empire to let the Marines in. But Glee's 667cc, a colony of some 23 million souls, is still in Imperial hands. And we know nothing about other Three World Empire colonies like Corona and Gorham's Folly. In short, the Empire is a mostly blank sheet. It's time to get creative. So here are a few things I want to invent for the Three World Empire. A royal family. When the two powers combined, both industry and royalty merged. Wayland yutani was the result of the industrial merger, but we know nothing of the royal merger. What tradition survived when these two largely symbolic monarchies fused? For example, in the UK, our royal family has a family name, currently Windsor, a name made up when the decidedly Germanic Saxe-Coburg-Gotha was determined to be not quite the thing when we were at war with Germany. If anything, though, that shows the royals are flexible, so I reckon they would be happy to adopt the Japanese tradition of only given names in return for the Japanese agreeing to drop male-only primogeniture, which would in turn mean that in the alien universe, our Imperial Majesty is the Empress Charlotte, because I have a soft spot for George IV's daughter, who never got to be Queen. But this monarchy, like our own, is purely symbolic. We know there is a representative democracy actually wielding power, but what's it like? In his piece on the UPP, Dave eschewed a purely 70s or 80s vision of the communists in favour of something that had modern-day China's free market authoritarianism. I'm going totally the other way. I want the empire to go full-on late 70s, early 80s, And that means one thing, Thatcher. I want an Iron Lady in charge. The one I'm thinking of right now is Gloria Monday from Grant Morrison's Dan Dare strip. 
but I think I'll need to change her name. And if we have a Thatcher, we need a Falklands. Gorham's Folly has a name that uh, fits. We also need some Troubles. So which colony is going to be our Northern Ireland? Corona? We also need a big feck-off navy. The book says the Three World Empire has a relatively small military, but an extensive navy. The faster-than-light technology of the alien universe was invented by a British company, Wayland, and I'm damned if I'm going to let the same thing happen with this bit of British tech as happened with jet aviation and the MRI scanner. We are going to rule the space lanes. The biggest fleet with the biggest ships. I'm taking imperial policy back to the late 19th century when our policy was to have a bigger navy than the next three powers combined. So, if the United Americas, the UPP and even the EU ganged up on us, they still wouldn't have as many ships as we do. There was, too, at the turn of the 19th and 20th centuries, a strong traditional link between the UK and Japanese shipbuilding industries. And the Japanese Navy whopped Russian ass in the Russo-Japanese War of 1904, much to everybody's surprise, except us Brits. So we're going to have those glory days again. I've not tried building any Imperial Navy ships yet, but they will be big, and they will be fast, and they will be carriers. There will be two flagships, HMS Ark Royal, and of course the battle cruiser HMS Yamato. Talking of design, even though I haven't designed any ships, I have designed the Navy's white ensign patch. Finally, the Special Operations Executive, or SOE, are an arm of three World Empire Navy intelligence, devoted to operations behind enemy lines. Rarely recruited from existing military personnel, SOE agents are often civilians, usually with skills or a cultural background, that will help them blend in and work in each theatre of operations. Currently, on Lena 349, they are engaged in sabotage against the occupying USCM peacekeeping force. We ain't letting the United Americas take you, Lena. As somebody once sang back in the 21st century, you'll be back. Yeah, cool. Well, that was really good, Matt. Thanks. Um, not as good as my UPP one, obviously, but pretty good nonetheless. Um, I love your idea about the royal family. So, But I do have a question. So would the is the idea here that the, the, the British and the Japanese royal families kind of intermarry and so we get yes. one family line? Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I, I think it actually mentions that in the book. I will... Uh, um, okay, right. Uh, but yes, so my idea is you've got two... You know, so one of the things I struggle with is it's had a big attack of hubris to call yourself the three-world empire um when particularly when the fiction as we know it as the americans running over everything uh and i you know i i couldn't quite can't quite get how we little old plucky britain 
uh, and little old plucky Japan would, would get <laughs> imperial aspirations this long after their various empires fell, particularly yeah. with, you know, we've just been talking about colonialism. Um, you know, we, we, we're, we're proud of some of the stuff that we did in empire, but we're also not so proud of some of the stuff we did. Mm. Similarly with the Japanese and, you know, how they treated the Koreans. Uh, there's, I think we've got, uh, both, both cultures have got a little bit of, um, shall we say, shame about words like empire. So what's brought, what, what brought that on in, in, the, in the next century? Why did we start returning to the idea of empire? And I think actually part of that has got to be about the royal family being the traditional thing here. So, you know, the emperor uh, in Japan, the queen in this country, and arguably imperial majesty, uh, those two things come together. So we've got to still have a, a royal family if we're going to get away with calling ourselves an empire at all. Yeah, yeah that, that's fair. I guess the reason why they've come back to that is because um, there is now fresh fresh fields to scrabble over as you're spreading yeah, out, spreading I guess out so. into, the, to get into the galaxy. Um, whereas... but it was most disappointing to me when, when I was thinking, well, we've got three worlds. Ha, we've got the first three worlds. And then looking into it, I realised, well, we don't have Mars. We've got <laughs> bits of Mars. We've got bits of Titan. The bloody Americans are running over everything. Else, you know. So what, um, did, what, what, what three worlds does three worlds refer to then? It does refer to Mars and Titan, but, you know, we, we don't own any of those worlds and, and yeah. Earth. Yeah. So, right. it, you know, it's an early stage of saying we are an empire that stretches over three worlds. But, um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, cool. Again, I think there's some interesting stuff here. Uh, which we, we haven't talked much about the military in what I've written there, but um, the book says there's not much of a military. There's the uh, the Royal Marines Commando uh, yep. and a pretty extensive navy. It, and also it mentions that, you know, we use mercenaries a lot, so we, we employ Wayland yutani troops. Mm. So that, but in my head, now puts Wayland yutani into the place of the... East India Company. East India Company, yeah. Yeah. You, of course, originally Mm. had their own private Indian army, and then eventually we took it over. And I'm just wondering whether the Wayland yutani seeing that history and seeing what they're doing and thinking, at some point, states may turn against corporations of our size, and what we need to do is own a state to enable us to survive. Mm. And so, you know, they are the movers and shakers behind the three-world empire so that if everybody turns against Wailing Yutani as a corporation, then they've still got a power base within a political structure. They're built yeah. with a figurehead royal family and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting take on it. I like, I like that very much. I also like the, uh, the, sort of kind of the, the throwback to the 19th century age of sale and um, the idea that the three-world empire might aspire to have a bigger fleet than both the UA and the UPP put together. And um, the EU, but they're a stinking the third yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Which I think is a really interesting idea. Uh, I suspect in the kind of the canon headspace of Alien, that isn't the case at all. I and mean, the United Americas are probably the most powerful. Yeah. Of the, of the, um, of the super. I'm going to put my bid in now. <laughs> Let's put our bid in now. We yeah, may, we may win this. We may win Andrew over on this one. Um, but of course we're not powerful you know uh, militarily there's uh, I mentioned uh, I can't remember which planet it is now but 
go back and listen to it. <laughs> there's there's one place where we've let the U.S. Marine Corps uh, be the peacekeeping force um, between us and them, which uh, I personally personally resent. So you know, <laughs> uh, the, the, they've got their blooming fingers in every pie. Um, yeah. And you know we we may have ships in the space, but we haven't got boots on the ground. But then you know, maybe I do think are, are the UA overstretching themselves, as as you say in beginning of uh, Destroyer of Worlds, too many fronts, not enough grunts. Yeah, I'd like to see some more conflicts. Um, and riffing off the eighties when the movie was set, not when the movie was set, of course, when the movie was <sighs> made. Yeah, and how art reflects the time it's made in more than it reflects the future it's portraying mm-hmm. yeah. i would like to have as i say some northern ireland type conflict going on yeah and also some sort of falklands, falklands. Type conflict going on yeah um, no, i think that's really good because it, it 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 brings out if you, if you want to do a three world empire sort of naval colonial marine kind of thing campaign that brings out areas where your your sort of military challenges are going to be very different from one another Mm. Um, and I guess the stories behind them will be very different as well. Yes. Yeah, really good. Good work, mate. But there's a lot of there's a lot of scope to build here, and we, you know, I'm feeling we can build this in the absence of anybody else doing stuff. Um, mm. uh, so uh, I might do some more detail on some of these in future episodes. Does that sound like homework for next time? Do you want to set me some homework? Out, out of all the things that I briefly mentioned, there is there any one bit of that you want to have more details on? Why don't you pull something together? That reflects that sort of Northern Ireland parallel. Okay, okay. Challenge accepted. How does that sound? I'll, cool. I'll do something on that. Now, I didn't have any homework this time. No. Um, Would you, you have... like to take on another bit of the th- Three World Empire? Should we make next week a bit of a Three World Empire uh, yeah. special? cool. Why not? Absolutely. Because uh, yeah, I know how much you love ship design. And although I've wanted to design ships, I haven't uh-huh. got my head around it. And I haven't really even you know, got my head around what the ship design rules are in um, in Alien. Would you like to have a go at uh, designing HMS Yamato, for example? Yes. Challenge accepted. Okay, then. Let's do that. Brilliant. Cool. Excellent. Next week is a Three World Empire special. We, well, we shall own this part of the franchise. <laughs> well, let's hope. Let's hope. No, cool. Good. I haven't really looked into the space rules for Alien very much. Um, so this will be a great chance for me to... to so here's an opportunity to do that, yeah. Have a little review of that as well. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, good idea. Good choice. Um, bef- before we before we sign off, I have yep. one last thing I wanted to do, which I should probably have done in, in, in World of Gaming. I just wanted I to I gave out... you the opportunity, mate, and you, I know. you, you hesitated. We, I only we talked just re- about masks and shit. I only just remembered. Okay. So okay, um, right. if you want, you could splice this in and stick it in the world again. No, no, let's put it here at the end so everybody um, can see your failure. <laughs> I just wanted to do a big shout out to the guys from uh, Alien vs. Predator Galaxy. They ah. um, they invited us into a game, which unfortunately you couldn't make at the last minute for... for yes, my in-laws came for, for a barbecue. Damn the sunny weather! For, for, for pretty poor reasons, frankly, but yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, um, Chevy ran the game. Uh, Chevy's uh, his handle on Discord. Um, Chris uh, ran the game for us. It was, it was one of his own design. We had a great time. I mean, the guys that um, uh, that we played with, uh, that I played with, were just brilliant players. We had some. Uh, we actually, well, everybody survived except for me. 
<laughs> at the end. But it was um, it was a great scenario. We had a great fun. It was a bit of a marathon. We started at seven and we finished just after one o'clock. Um, so we were all a bit frazzled by the end. But I just want to say thanks to the guys. It was wonderful they went to, to invite us. Um, I had an absolute blast. We've we've made an undertaking to, to game again, hopefully sometime soon uh, with the same crowd. Um, but yeah, just a great big thanks and shout out to Alien vs. Predator Galaxy. They run, they, they have podcast. Well, they got loads of content. Um, too Excellent. Much so I, are they editing this and are they going to put it online in some format? And can we link to it in our show notes? Um, yes. I don't know when they'll be ready to do that. But yes, we'll be able to link to it. Uh, when it comes comes to it, I'll give um, um, Aaron a shout, and I think he's doing the editing. And yeah, we can we can point people in the right direction. Excellent. So we point, we shall. And, yes, uh, indeed. And I'm sorry I missed the game. It sounds like a lot of fun. It was great fun. They'd um, Chevy'd set up two characters, a brother and sister, which were for you and me to play. Oh. And, and a brother and sister that didn't get on terribly well. Oh, he, well, that, that, that's he, just like us, yes. He, well, he wanted to hear us bicker throughout the mm. entire thing. Because that's luckily, what we do. Luckily, that's our um, thing. Luckily, another Aaron who came in um, and took the character, uh, we had plenty of brotherly, sisterly banter going on. And in the end, even though I didn't like it very much, I, I sacrificed my life to, uh, to save them. Not intentionally. That's, but. that's because you would have sacrificed your life to save me. I, I understand. <laughs> it was role playing, Matt. It was role playing. <laughs> yeah. Let us say goodbye to our listeners. Yep. Uh, and yep. Um, goodbye from me. And goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to the Effect podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.